Welcome to Friends and Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry are four longtime friends with more than 70 published books between them. Together, they host Friends and Fiction with author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hello, everyone. It's that time. It's Wednesday night, and it is time for Friends in Fiction. And we are all here live and together. So let's... Yay, I know. So let's get (laughs) rolling. I am Patty Callahan-Henry. I'm Christy Woodson-Harvey. I'm Kristen Harmel. And I'm Mary Kay Andrews. And this is Friends in Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories to support authors, indie bookstores, and librarians. Tonight, we are so thrilled because we are welcoming Elizabeth Acevedo, author of the Good Morning America pick, and one of my favorite reads of the year, Family Lore. Make sure to check out all the pieces of our Friends in Fiction community at friendsandfiction.com. There you'll find links to everything Friends in Fiction, from our weekly podcast that drops on all major podcast platforms each Friday, our bookshop.org page, which supports indie bookstores and where our books and books from our guests are available at a discount, our weekly email newsletter, and even our Friends in Fiction official book club with Brenda and Lisa. That is right. And the Friends in Fiction, <laughs> Friends in Fiction, which is about nuclear fission, <laughs> which I happen to be an expert on. Or it could be or Friends in Fission. That could That's be like what a new podcast. Yeah, three of our husbands are into Friends in Fiction. Anyway. That's right. The Friends in Fiction (laughs) official book club will be meeting on their separate Facebook page on Monday, September 18th at 7 p.m. for a live discussion with Abby Jimenez about yours truly, one of my favorite books of the past year. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. And our Friday podcast for last week has dropped. Patty and I talked to Helen Ellis about Kiss Me in the Coral Lounge, one of my favorite books. It was so much fun. It was such a fun discussion. She was an incredible guest, so do not miss that. And coming this Friday, MKA and Ron will be talking to Craig Johnson about the Longmire defense. You know, the Netflix series Longmire, right? Same guy. Awesome. Well, before we get rolling, I have a couple things. First, I want to say, we all want to say how excited and thrilled we are that our Facebook page has just hit a huge milestone. 200 thousand members strong 200,000 of you out there it's amazing this community is so astounding and it just grows by leaps and bounds because all of you are such good readers and readers tell other readers and what a community we have built so speaking of community our Mary Kay Andrews has only two weeks and six days until her book comes out So Mary Kay, tell us about your upcoming launch and all the good stuff you have coming up. I know our September 27th episode will be some more Friends in Fiction theater involving props. It's all a secret for now. But tell us everything else. Well, I'm going to have to put on my bright lights, big Christmas hat. One moment, please. (laughs) Be right back. 
There's props okay, tonight. Me... <laughs> I can't figure out how to make it light up. But anyway, I'm going to write up. Ask your engineer husband. He'll show you. He's downstairs with the dogs. <laughs> I'm going to light it up all by myself. Okay. <laughs> Here is the book. I Literally, the doorbell rang. The dog started barking. It was a whole thing. It's a Wednesday <laughs> miracle. It's a Wednesday <laughs> miracle. Bright Lights Big Christmas. Um, if you pre-order Bright Lights Big Christmas now from my local indie, Eagle Eye Books in Decatur, Georgia. You'll get one of our adorable limited edition Christmas tree ornaments. Oh, I'm, I'm glad Meg thought to put that up there because I forgot to bring mine upstairs. That it's, is adorable. And you'll get so the cute. limited edition Christmas tree ornament along with your signed and personalized copy of my new book. And somebody asked me today, well, if you order three books, do you get three ornaments? Yes, you do. <laughs> and of course, Eagle Eye ships. Go to Eagle Eye's website now because we only have 300 of these three or of these ornaments and when they're gone, they are G O N E. Now also Barnes and Noble also has a special discount pre-order promos happening today through this Friday, September 8th only. And it's just for their rewards and premium members. If you're not a rewards and premium member, you can join. It's easy. You'll get 25% off for these three days only with code pre-order all caps 25. And you'll also be entered into Barnes and Noble's ongoing sweepstakes to win a pre-lit potted artificial Christmas tree and two autograph books from me. <sighs> okay, but there's more. <laughs> you get the bamboo steamer, the Ginsu knives. No. <laughs> <laughs> Hair ties. <laughs> yeah. As for my book tour, we are kicking things off in a big way, not with just one, but two big launch parties. Saturday, September 23rd, I'll be here in Atlanta at Huff Harrington Home with book sales by Foxtail Bookshop. You can buy your tickets now on Foxtail's site. Partiers will get a swag bag of goodies, a signed book, a signature Bright Lights Big, Big Christmas cocktail from our beverage sponsor, 13th Colony Distillery, drinks and nibbles. Then the next day, on Sunday, September 24th, Meg and I will jump on our sleigh and we'll go down to Southwest Georgia <laughs> for a tea party at the Townhouse Inn and Buena Vista, and that will have book sales by Eagle Eye Bookshop. You'll get a swag bag, yummy treats, and yet another Christmas-themed cocktail. Get tickets on the Eagle Eye website. And just, I, I need to add something, too. We are partnering again this year with one of my favorite charities, Helping Mamas, for a diaper drive. So we'll tell you more about that later, but... Um, Beyond those first couple of days, I have about 30 more events lined up. I'll be all over, up and down the East Coast, and I'll be in California in November. You can find the full tour details on my website at MaryKAndrews.com. Oh, it's so exciting. From the minute you talked about it till now, we are here. I, I, I looked today like, how many days do we have? And I was like, no, when you texted that today, I was like, oh my gosh, how is it three weeks away? It just yeah, is like crazy. It's here. Yeah. I know. Here we go. And I'm trying to finish a book while I do that. Ay, ay, ay. You're not That's stressed. Fun. No. No. Okay. So, and everyone tonight after our interview with Elizabeth, which we're getting to right now, we'll be hanging out for an after show. So don't leave after we say goodbye. So without further ado, let's welcome Elizabeth Acevedo. And she can tell me if I'm saying her name wrong. Elizabeth is the Young People's Poet Laureate and the New York Times bestselling author of The Poet X. 
which won the National Book Award, that little award for young people's literature. She's also the author of With the Fire on High, which has accrued so many honors, including being named a Best Book of the Year by the New York Public Library, NPR, and Publishers Weekly. Elizabeth holds a BA in Performing Arts from the George Washington University and an MFA in Creative Writing from the University of Maryland. She is a National Poetry Slam champion and she resides in Washington, D.C. with her love. Her new book, Family Lore, was the August Good Morning America pick and we are so honored to have her join us here tonight. Sean, can you bring Elizabeth on, please? Hi, Hi. Elizabeth. How are you all? Good. We are so excited to have you. So before we dive into the book, I wanted to talk about family lore. Off camera, we were talking about when you were writing this before you weren't pregnant, during the writing you were pregnant, and you had the baby right when the book was due. And all of this time, this book is about your fa is about family, and you're making your family while you're writing about family. <laughs> so you've made us all think about our own family lore. And I'm curious how many of us have taken the time to ask our elders for family stories. Mary Kay, have you? Well, I tried. Both of my paternal grandparents were Irish immigrants, but they lived in Chicago when I was growing up, and I was in Florida. So I had pretty limited time with them. And my grandfather died when I was quite young. My grandmother um, was orphaned as a child and she didn't like to talk about the old days. Um, so I don't know a lot. My cousins and I, um, they've joined Ancestry.com and, and we're, we're trying to learn more. And of course, I'm, I really wanna go to uh, Ireland to the places where they were born. So, but I'm sad um, not to know more about them. And so I encourage people, ask those questions while you're, while your folks are still living. Yeah, you can dig yeah. and find some things, but yeah. some things only mm -hmm. they can tell you, right? How about yeah. you, Kristen? Yeah, you know, I think that's one of the reasons I write historical fiction and 20th century historical fiction. Um, those stories from that time period in my family were largely lost when we lost my maternal grandfather. Um, and he served in the Merchant Marines during World War II. I know we had a lot of so stories. So did my but, grandfather. See, they probably knew each other, but because we never asked them, we'll never know. Oh my I mean, gosh. that's crazy. Um, you know, but, but I mean, but that, but that, that's the thing. It's like, I, I, I don't know. It's just, it feels like a big piece of my family that I have lost because I didn't ask those questions because I lost him before I was old enough to know that I really wanted those answers. And there's so much I don't know about my dad's side of the family too, including the details of there's this great love story between a first generation Jewish American soldier and a Catholic French girl in Paris during World War II um, that resulted in my grandmother. So um, mm. I, I wish I knew more of that story as well. So it's a huge part of what I, why I write. Um, I think I'm trying to fill in the blanks. Oh my gosh. So Elizabeth, did this story make you ask your family even more questions than before? I mean, I know they inspired it, but did you go even further down the rabbit hole with them when you were working on this? I think it's helpful to know that I um, really started writing this novel. I had pieces of it, but I really started writing in May of 2020. And so I'm the only member in my family that lives in DC. Everybody else is in New York. And um, there was already distance, but we were also social isolating. We were really nervous. Um, 
my parents kind of needed me to translate slash be on the forefront of what the news was advising um, and making sure that they had the things they needed. So I was constantly ordering like, you know, groceries or just just trying to make sure that they could get what they needed because it also New York was uh, in May 2020 was at the forefront of just like yeah. horrific. Right. And they're elders. They're, they're older. They're, you know, in their 70s. Um, and so I remember writing this book and I'm constantly talking to my mom. Right. All the time. And we're, yeah. we're talking really about just the day to day checking in. Um, but the questions that I began asking because I was writing this book, because there was so much fear around what the next, you know, the next day would bring much less the next couple of years. I think I was really thoughtful about the interview questions and they weren't interview questions, but I'd be writing and I'm like, did my mom know that people had washing machines? Like when you grow up really rural in a really particular area and you wash clothes in the river, like you know that the rich people might have a machine that does that for you and so then i'm asking she's like oh no washing machines didn't exist and i'm like no no they definitely did no, they did they definitely did they definitely did in the 40s and 50s like they existed but so i'm getting her perception on just like these little things i didn't do oh, too much research or ask too many questions because i actually thought that that might try to make it too autobiographical and yeah. i didn't want it to just yeah. be Right, bond down with facts, which I think can happen when you're writing a book inspired by your family. So I just let, you know, my mom kind of fill in the details that that made the book feel real, um, and then I just did did the rest of it. Oh, fascinating! How about you, Christy? Have you done like family lore? Yeah, you know, interestingly enough, so my second book, Lies and Other Acts of Love, um, a lot of that book is based on my grandparents' real life love story in the '40s and '50s. Oh, wow. Um, although, interestingly, my grandfather would never talk about the war. Never. So oh, I don't know really anything. I know a lot about, you know, that time in their lives, but he would not talk about the war specifically. Um, and um, my next book, my 2024 book, is actually um, based on, in, in, let me say, I'll say inspired by, not based on. It is inspired by um something that actually happened to my grandmother's sister um, that I've just has been kind of like in the back of my head for a long time and finally became a story. So obviously all I'm doing is just mining my family's <laughs> life. I think we, we only have our own compost. Pile. Yeah. Like, you know, that's, so I'm just mining their stories and, and writing bugs, I guess. <laughs> so for a present, I gave my mom and my mother-in-law story worth. Have y'all heard of that? Where you get a question every week yeah. and then you answer it like, what was your favorite childhood memory? And at the end of the year, you have a whole book. Wow. So, I know. All right. Let's dive into this novel because it is so interesting. In family lore, we meet, how do you say it? Marta or Marte? Marte. 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 We meet the Marte family from the Dominican Republic who now live in New York City, just like your family. And the older sister, Floor, has a gift. She dreams death premonitions. She knows who will die, including when and how. That's her gift, yet each daughter of the family has another gift, from herbalism to the reader of people's truths, what you call, Elizabeth, affinities. So family lore opens as Floor insists on throwing herself a living wake, and yet she won't say why. Has she foreseen her death? Is she gathering her family for someone else? 
So I read a quote from you that says, I write what haunts me. And if that's true, what is this book really about and what haunts you? I think, and I say I think because every time I answer this, there's a different thing I think the book is about. But (laughs) um, I love that. In writing it, I began to discover that one of the main questions I was trying to figure out was how do we learn the practice of love? And when we come from folks who are maybe cryptic in their love or um, the the way they show up isn't translated for us very clearly, so we don't, we can't interpret that love. Um, what does that do to us? How do we how do we then pass that on? How do we inherit it? How do we um, make heirlooms of it? Right. So for me, the biggest question was, what does love look like sideways for siblings, for sisters, for daughters, for mothers, and where do we fail in in practicing love? Right. And can you kind of heal from malpractice? <laughs> I guess. Oh. So I think that that is what haunts me. I I, I um, love my mother, and I know she loves me. And yet, I think we've both done harm to each other because because mm-hmm. we didn't know better, because of silence, because of how she was raised, and so how she raised me, and how I needed to rebel or 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 just felt silenced by her her kind of love. And then, you know, so going back to the initial question, I'm talking to her during the pandemic and she's telling me how her mother raised her. And I'm like, I would have never known the kinds of wounds that you felt. Um, And so I I think that is the big haunting of this book is just like, how do, how do we like learn ill, like not ways that don't fit us, right? Like a comfortable way of, of showing up with love towards each other. Yeah, mothers and daughters, my gosh. Mothers and daughters, that would have been the more succinct answer. (laughs) No, yours was much more beautiful and poetic. The way we hurt and haunt each other, just beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, family, beautiful, complicated family. They do make the best stories. And I know, Elizabeth, that you're from a fascinating Caribbean family and that your mom has nine sisters. We talked about this a moment ago, but so much of the story was inspired by true family stories. Did you have to get permission (laughs) from your family? And how did that feel to tap into um, that um, familial vein? Yeah, I um, there's there's only one person that I asked if she would be okay with my writing. What was. I guess, I mean, I would say based on her and her relationship and her marriage. And that's because it, it uh, it's just such a sensitive subject. And I think it was one where she's still healing from and I wanted to be mindful. And I don't know if she would, if she would have said like, no, you can't write it. Cause the book was already sold. At that that's point. what I was going to say. Like, what if she had said no? <laughs> I don't know. We would have had to go into like family med- meditate mediation or something, but um, <laughs> She thankfully was was pretty open um, about it, but everyone else, I think it was it's a tidbit here, a tidbit there. It's um, composites of of different sisters in one. It's you know stories you hear about aunts, cousins, so and so, and so it was so far that I w- what I was the thread I was pulling, and then what it became 
that um, I didn't think I needed that much permission except for from the aunt on who Matilde is based. Because um, even though I made up a lot of how that relationship was navigated, I knew that it is hard coming from a very gossipy family to know that there's a character that is so closely yeah. um, written on you and, and the family would know. Right. I think everyone else, the family might be like, oh, I don't know, maybe that's this person. But but this character was, uh, she was would know. Close. Yeah. And she would know. Um, and so I, I felt I had to do the. It felt like the right thing. OK. That's yeah. The question always comes, um, who owns their own story? And, yeah. you know, um, I remember a big controversy. David Sedaris wrote some essays about um, a sister. Um, he lost who had all kinds of emotional problems. And I think it stirred up a lot. Yeah. Oh, wow. It stirred up a lot with the rest of his family. Anyway, let's talk about magic. Every woman in this fictional family has a gift that we would could maybe consider magical. Now is magic present in your life and in your family? You know, I think it is. I don't know if it's because we're from the Caribbean. I don't know if it's just the the kind of upbringing. My mother was, I, I mentioned this earlier, was raised in the countryside. And I think there's just a little bit more of the supernatural that she was allowed to believe in and that they um, found answers in things that, that were a little bit more um, of a different realm. But if my mother calls me and she's like, these are the numbers you have to play for the lotto because I had a dream about it. Like, I'm going to go play those numbers. Like, gonna, like, no, mom, that's not how the You're crazy. Works. Right, yeah. you're crazy. No, I'm going to be like, yes, man. Like, you are right. And I'm going to go win some money. Thank you. Right, like, I think that there's, um, there's a way in which what was possible beyond this world never felt far when I was yeah. young. Oh. And I think I still have those kinds of beliefs. I remember I when I was pregnant, I would have these wild dreams. And in the dreams, my, my, my kid would be talking to me. There was one even where I, before we knew the gender, um, I had a dream and the baby was like, you have to stop calling me a girl. Like, <laughs> and I was just like, what? And then we got confirmation on um, on gender a couple of weeks later. And I was just like, the baby told me in a dream, right? And so I think it's oh just like things like that where it's like, and I mean, you know, gender is fluid and that dream is what it was, but I have enough of those kinds of moments where I'm like, there's just something in the beyond that is constantly in communication. And I do not question that that is at play, not to the level of like some of these folks where like they have magic, they wield, right? Like they can, they make it happen as often as they want it to happen. I, I don't think it's like that for me, but, but I believe in it. I don't, um, I don't question what the world offers. And I think that's one of the things it offers. It's just this complicated relationship with what we don't see. Your mom didn't tell you what you were having? <laughs> right, you wouldn't think. But then she's like, I knew it, I knew it. I was like, that was my guess. <laughs> my mother wasn't Caribbean, but she would always say, I told you. Yeah, I told yeah. you, I knew, I knew. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. <laughs> Um, do you ever ask your child about like, I, I remember this when Will, when my son was really, really small, he used to tell this story, like he was like very small, like yeah. probably under two, but then he told it till he was like four about how he chose me to be his mommy and what that process was like. 
And it was 100% the same. Every time he told the story from like, wow. he could first talk all the way and it would creep us out so badly. Like we were so wow. creeped out. We were like, maybe he did. I mean, I don't know. It was like so specific and all these wow. details. And wow. so you have incredible. to ask her. I know he's, he's right now. We're just trying to get like mama Dada out of yeah, he's too little now. He's too little. But I'm just saying fair. like, I think it's no, so man. interesting. Like the things that like, you know, they that can like out. pop into yeah, that yeah. in that halfway space. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, in that halfway I, space. The dreams I had, he would tell me like, he, I just remember like thinking like, oh my God, he's so sweet and he's so funny. And I'm, I mean, I'm pregnant, but I'm like, I can see his personality and he is sweet and he is funny. But I feel like there, it was interesting to have this, what I imagined him to be because of what I perceived as, you know, this way he was communicating. But for us, it's the opposite. When he came, when he was born, I was like, so this is why I think you chose us. And this is how we prepared for you. And this is like, we were waiting for you to arrive. And so, you know, if he ever echoes it back, I'll be like, yes, he was listening. That's really interesting. Okay. So I read that you grew up in Harlem. I always say to be, to be like you, because I'm like, maybe I'm wrong, but I think with summer visits to the Dominican Republic and aspirations of becoming a rapper, which is so... <laughs> Cool. Until a literature teacher invited you to join an after-school poetry club. Yes. So, can you tell us a little bit about kind of that transformation and how it all kind of meshes together? And can you tell it to us in rap form? <laughs> can you rap it to us now, please? Golden Manuel, gotcha. Count on Mary Kay for that. Yeah, <laughs> let's see you do it, Mary Kay. <laughs> no, I am. Um... I will say that the neighborhood is Morningside Heights for folks who are very specific about Harlem. It's like Harlem adjacent. Um, but I, I, the first form of writing I did was songwriting and was, I, I think, and then I, I didn't have a good singing voice. And so hip hop felt like such a entryway into the kind of poetry I was writing and it offered form, which oh, I was yeah. really drawn to, right? You have to have specific meter and it has to be 16 lines and it has to fall on a beat. Like I really loved the structure. Yeah. that that hip-hop offered um and i remember getting invited to this poetry club my first year in high school and i was just like i was so not conceited but i just was an elitist about <laughs> hip-hop and was just like i'm not a poet like i'm a rapper like it, <laughs> we like do rhyme right it's not the same thing you guys don't even rhyme like i don't even know what you're doing over there like i just thought you know, i was doing something that that was more rigorous in some ways. And then I went to the poetry club and was like, oh no, these people are really good. And they are <laughs> expansive in how they're approaching language. And they are playing with, um, most people were writing free verse. So it was my first introduction to breaking kind of out of form in a way that I I think really served me. And, and you know, this teacher opened up my understanding of, of who an audience is, but also encouraged me to slap which was the first time where I had to prepare a poem to compete with in front of an audience. Oh. And then they hold up a scorecard. It's like competitive figure skating, but with words, right? It's the most just like- I have so much anxiety. Oh my God. It's thrilling, but I think that for someone who was very self-conscious in my body, it was amazing for three minutes to, to have agency over, I'm going to have you look at me and listen to me on my terms. Mm for the thing that I want to do, right? I felt so hyper visible, but but that was on purpose. 
right in a way that I think was really empowering. And so, um, you know, my, my novel, The Poet X, was kind of taking a look at that subculture of, of slam and, and poetry. And I'm just, you know, really lucky that I had some amazing educators that that saw merit in my work and kind of kept challenging me to put myself out there. And, and slam was one of the most exciting ways that I was able to do that. Awesome. Well, and so speaking yeah. of Podex, um, you, you know, had this huge success in poetry and YA, and this is your first book for adults. And what a journey. I mean, from the GMA book club pick to this, this review by the New York Times, Pearls of Magic and Wisdom, Hard But Not Hardened, The Story mm-hmm. of the Marta Sisters is a Treasure to Behold. That I'll is, take that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean... That, that's a good day. That's a good day. So what made you feel that it was time to write a book for adults? I think I let the stories tell me who they need to be for and how they need to be written. And I, I don't mean it to sound woo-woo, right? We've been talking about magic, right? I, I, I am very concerned with craft and very concerned yeah. with the story being told at the highest level I can tell it. But I also know when a book has too many characters for a novel and verse. Right and or too much dialogue, and the verse can't can't contain that. I know when a, a book um, is going to need flashbacks or a lot more um, different windows into the past. Right, like I think I feel how the story needs to be told, and this book just had a range of experiences that I knew were for audiences that had maybe lived a little bit more than. Mm-hmm my usual audience of 13 and 14 year olds. Yeah. And in general, even though my young adult novels, I think a lot of adults read them and can read them. And it's like a, a call back to their younger selves. This was a book where I knew I was going to be challenging folks to think about their future selves and to think about dying and to think about what yeah. makes a good death and what are the choices that lead to a good death. And so those are questions that just felt a little bit farther along right than a lot of, of my teens and so I just knew the book needed to to be and also their sex right it's spicy it has like a yeah. lot of um, things that play that like I don't usually include in my teen book so once I read the first sex scene I was like yep this is not going to be like <laughs> um you know any type of uh any other book than what it is um and I knew from the get-go that that this book was just going to be I wanted to be bigger in my language and in how I approach the world. And that was going to require readers that, that had experiences of reading these yeah. kinds of books. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so Elizabeth, you've been quoted as saying, I love to sit with the language, which okay. I, I love that. I, I love that statement. I love to sit with language too. You started this novel during the pandemic, like you talked about, and it's told through such fascinating and singular voices. Yet it's also told in memories that are out of order, which is often how we remember things. So it's divided into sections that bring us closer to the wake. Um, Mm -hmm. You've said that you don't plot and that for you, writing is about discovery. Can you talk a little bit about your writing process for this story? Yeah, I think anyone who reads this is probably like, oh, yeah, I could see how she doesn't plot, right? Like, I could see how um, the preoccupation is not with the the satisfaction of certain beats. It's with the the development of, of the characters and also the larger project of how do we tell stories within ourselves? How do we carry lore, right? And so the out of order um, was completely intentional and, and maybe that was 
was very pre-planned. I wanted to challenge readers to kind of need to both be aware of who was speaking and aware of their story, but also that when you're from a big family and, and you get um, ensemble truth telling about who as a family you are, that can be really kind of hodgepodge. It doesn't, it doesn't work on a linear level. And I think that I wanted to honor what it feels like to receive stories from multiple people and then try to create a mosaic of this is who we are. Um, and so it, it's not going to feel super smooth. It's not going to be easy. There are contradictions. I don't know how many aunts y'all have, but if you have ever asked a room full of aunts to tell you <laughs> about one particular memory, they are, no, that's not what happened. Or she doesn't know anything. Or, oh my gosh, she wasn't even there. And it's like, <laughs> you, know, you get that. And I wanted that feeling of the reader is a participant in how they choose to hold the truth that these women are telling. And when they choose to say, this is reliable, this is unreliable. And, and then you have Ona, right? You have the book within the book of this kind of person who's guiding you a little bit and sifting through some of it to help you figure out the truth telling as you get to the weight. But um, to answer your question, I had a bunch of post-its on a wall with each character's name, and then I would just kind of write scenes. Um, my editor had me streamline it a little bit because it was even more out of order. There was less to hold on to. And the book is so big that we kind of had to give some hand holding, but some hand holds. But I, I, um, I just trusted my readers. I trusted that I would have good readers and thoughtful readers and folks that were invested enough in these women that they would try, you know, they would work hard to, to keep it all together and to be okay with the fact that we never fully know someone's entire truth, that there are gaps. Okay. And it, it goes back to the previous about learning to love and the practice of love. Like there's a lot of silence in how we mm. learn love sometimes. And so there's there's mm. silence written into how these stories are told. Oh, I love that sentiment. Um, Elizabeth, you also have at the end of the book, without any spoil without spoilers, you have what you call an abstract. And it reads like a poem. So I wish I could read out loud the entirety of the paragraph, but in it you say, all of us are magic wrapped in skin and taught with overwrought wonder for the fleeting time we are beings. We would have to make her up, the woman we require to survive this world. So talk to us a little bit about this stunningly beautiful sentiment. Thank you. Um, the book opens with a poem by my favorite poet, Lucille Clifton. Um, and she has this line, I made it up here on this bridge between starshine and clay, my one hand holding tight my other. Won't you celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. And so it felt kind of like the perfect book and on this um, large story about who we are and what we do and don't know and what we have to make up to kind of have a sense of our history and who we are and who we come from to kind of speak to, um, we, we are just constantly making it up. We're just constantly choosing today, this is the woman that I want to become and I'm going to work towards being that woman so that I can show up for myself. But I think we also kind of um, make up the past, right? In order for me to make peace with who I, I want my mother to be, I have to believe that XYZ might have happened or that there was something she is trying to heal or, 
or you know, in order to to fill in the gaps for my great grandmother, who I never met, never don't know, couldn't tell you her name. I have to believe this is probably the kind of woman who she was for me to be here today. So I think we are always making up our history when we try to understand where we are now. Um, but the but that particular sentiment is is a, a call and response to the the opening poem, um, and then the and then Ona's project. Uh, you know, the reason that it's an abstract. Right. Um, thinking about her research on a larger level of what she's planning to do with it. Awesome. Well, it's so beautiful. I wrote it down. The woman we require to survive this world, like how we make that person of ourselves. Right. Right. Look, it made me get choked up. Okay. <laughs> so we have so many live questions coming in. Christy, will you pick one? Um, yes, um, so many good ones, but this one I think we just all have to know. So Susan Short Seligman said, were you a reader as a child, and who were some authors who inspired you when you were growing up? I was a huge reader as a child. Um, I was the kind of kid who like escaped in books and just, you know, my best friend would be like, tell your mom that I'm like with you at the library. I'm going to go meet this boy. And I'm like, okay. But I'm like, I'm really there just getting all the books. Um, I loved the Babysitter's Club. I loved. Um, Me too. <laughs> Me too. I loved it. And I was a real big series person. I didn't want to leave people. And I think yeah. right, that's the joy of a series. But even as a kid, it was just like heartbreaking to to not get to hang out with my favorite characters. I love Jacqueline Woodson, um, who is probably most well known for her book, Brown Girl Dreaming. Um, but she also writes adult books. And, and even then, um, it's amazing to me just how, how long of a career she's had that she wrote for me when I was in middle school. And then when I was a middle school teacher, I was giving out her books, but she had a book called Miracle Boys that was really beautiful. Um, that I loved, Melanin's son. Um, she's incredible if if you want another poet um, turned fiction writer. Uh, Julia Alvarez, who wrote How the Garcia Girls Lost Their Accent. Of course, The House on Mango Street was a, a book that I, um, also a poet. Wow, I'm really drawn to the poets turned novelist. Yeah, you think? <laughs> <laughs> but those are some of, I think, if I had to look back, I like my childhood canon, right? And then of course, like, Harry Potter, the Chronicle. Uh oh. No. No. Oh, <laughs> I wanted to hear all the things. Me too. Me too. Oh. Oh, I hope she comes right back. We have more to ask her. We had so oh, many good yeah. so many good questions come in while we were talking with her. Um yeah, I really would love to hear her read one of her poems. Um Yes, I know. She said, "Narnia, yeah, poof." She, was gone. <laughs> she went through. Meg the Walker says she walked right through the wardrobe. That's hilarious. Oh my goodness, <sighs> Elizabeth, if you can hear us by any chance, we can no longer see or hear you. Just in case you, in case you can hear in us, in case you think we're talking over you. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I want to say that if you haven't read her newsletter interview, um, if you don't get our newsletter, you need to. But she talks a lot in her newsletter about her rituals and what she does but she says she has a couple of things cooking and she is currently toggling between a YA novel and prose poetry which is really cool awesome. and then her next novel written for adults I don't know how you toggle I was going to ask her about it yeah. but it looks like we lost our beloved Elizabeth Acevedo Hopefully she'll be back 
Hopefully she will. Um, What I was going to say about StoryWorth and family lore is uh, my parents are always talking about their past, but Oh, there you are. I am so sorry. I just wanted to keep it exciting. And so- yes. No, Sophie, <laughs> you were like Narnia, happened. and then you went away. It was amazing. You walked through it was like Narnia. Poof. Elizabeth, you listen <laughs> how magic works. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, okay. Mary Kay, a live question. Yeah. Um, our friend Lisa Harrison wants to know um, your top five rappers, Elizabeth. Oh, this is such a good question. Um, I love Nas. Um, I love Rhapsody. Um, I'm a big fan of J. Cole. Um, who are some folks? Uh, Jay-Z. Yeah. That's four. And I would say Lauren Hill. Those are my top. Oh, ones. great. Awesome. Oh, with like an honorable mention for Eve, who was just a Philadelphia rapper who I adore. Did you have a rap name? I had many, and we are not going to go. Embarrassing. Maybe if you tell Elizabeth your name, then maybe she'll want to share one of hers. Vulnerability. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. (laughs) Before we we let you go for real, instead of accidentally, um, Mm -hmm. is there any way you could read? A lot of people are asking on the page if you would read a short poem of yours. A poem. Oh. oh, I don't know. You don't have to if you can't get like, to one. Surprise! <laughs> or just, she's like, that's, that's why I left. <laughs> right. That's I, I knew it. My intuition, my magical intuition told me. Um, I, gosh, I haven't said a poem in so long. I'm trying to think of what I might um, not. Well, maybe about. just read a little bit. Um, I don't know if you have the book right next to you, but I do. Abstract. Because that is a poem. Which one? Abstract. In many ways, it is. Abstract is a poem. And um, if folks are okay, I think there's actually a a different section that is pretty short. Um, Oh, we'd love it. So there are interviews throughout the novel. And this is the character Floyd's interview. Um, It begins with the body for me. I have sometimes felt like an occupant in this flesh, something that is being hosted. And so I had my first love, although looking back, those were a youngster's emotions. I truly became human when I became pregnant with you. Nothing, not even making love, had ever arrived me to my own body like growing another person. It was primal, physical, the sensations that became human to me. I would wake up and brush my teeth and the moment the toothbrush touched my tongue, I would begin to gag, a visceral shock from the dream world to the body. You know me, Ona. I struggle with decisions sometimes, but from the moment I learned I was carrying you, the most animal of choices became easy. What do I want to eat? Not that, not that, yes, this. I would stand at my station at the button factory and hunger, urinating, resting, were sensations as loud as the machines whirring around me. The cues were urgent, unignorable. I have never known so clearly what I wanted and needed at almost all times. I remember one day walking through Morningside Park, you know, that patch by 110th where the baseball fields are. They had just mowed it the tractor not yet having rolled off the field. 
And I swear to you, I wanted to drop to my knees. The grass smelled alive, the milk of each cut blade sweetening the air. And I felt like my nose pricked up every single drop of dew. I'd known beautiful fields and admired trees and birds, but with a second heartbeat in my body, my senses were newly electrified. You grounded me here with both feet on both knees, stooped on all fours, heaving to bring you forth. I have known death since before I was born, but I had not truly known life until I gave it to you. Oh, man. That's man. Bravo. Bravo. I'm kind of a mess tonight. Wow, Elizabeth. If this were a slam, I'd give you a 10. you're a good judge our sean said i'm not crying you're crying (laughs) in the background and meg said outstanding and i'm sure everyone on the page is going crazy you know it's it's beautiful and there's something so different about hearing it physically in your voice as opposed to hearing it in the voices we we read it in in our minds when we're reading the book so that would what an honor to hear it straight from you i think that made it even more even more beautiful. That's wow. That's amazing. All right. Um, Elizabeth, where can our viewers find you on the road and online and what do you have coming up in the next few weeks? Yes. The easiest place to find where I'll be at is on my website, uh, Acevedo, my last name, A-C-E-V-E-D-O, right? W-R-I-T-E-S. I just finished my tour in August, but I have a couple of events coming up. I'll be in Cleveland at their central library. I'll be at the Miami Book Festival. Um, I'll be in the United Kingdom if we have any Londoners um, who are part of the group. Um, and then I'll be in, in Texas in April and Los Angeles next fall. And I, I continuously add dates. So if you go on my website, there's an event page. Um, and I'm on social media. You can find me on Instagram at AcevedoWrites.com. Um, I'm kind of quiet these days, just taking care of my, my little baby. But um, I pop in every now and then to post some fun, fun book things. Awesome. Elizabeth, this has been an honor. And I I know everyone's going to agree, probably one of our most moving episodes. You, you're an astounding woman. You oh, really are. I appreciate it. So to all of you out there, I know everybody's writing in the comments. They're grabbing a copy right now saying your poetry has made the book a must buy for them. Um, So everybody out there, make sure to get your copy of Family Lore right now at a discount at the Friends and Fiction shop on bookshop.org. And Elizabeth, thank you for being here with us. Thank you all for having me. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. Good night, Elizabeth. Well, y'all have a great night. Wow, we will see you all in a minute for the after show. So don't forget that you can find all of our back episodes on YouTube. We will be back next week with our friends, Deneen Milner and Jessica Ward, also known to most of you as J.R. Ward. It's gonna be an incredible night. And we have such a fun episode in store for you. So thank you for being with us. What an incredible night. We'll see you next week and in a minute. Good night, everyone. Good night. Okay, wow. Like, what are we yeah. supposed to say? Good <laughs> <laughs> I know. Bye. That's a hard act. That's a hard act to follow. That is just, and I'm telling I, you, it was powerful. Yeah. I remember that read. I remember reading that part that yeah. she read out loud because I remember thinking how alive you feel when you're pregnant, you know, with your child. But then to to yeah. watch her or hear her and watch her read it. 
like it's 10 times more powerful than. Yeah, than it is. Yeah, totally. It is. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Wow. So she was an incredible guest. Okay. How was everybody's Labor Day weekend? What did you do? I know Mary Kay, you wrote like a mad woman. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I did have breaking news. My niece and my daughter-in-love looked at my makeup bag and just and were disgusted. It was all crusted and busted and disgusted. So they threw everything out and they dragged me off to the store to buy the makeup. <laughs> <laughs> all new makeup feels like such a begin again. I love it. Really does. Yeah. 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 So that was very exciting. We cooked. We had family. It was it was fun. And that I mean, I wrote nice. like a maniac. Sounds good. Um, yeah, it was fun. So all of our kind of like summer friends were back for one last hurrah. So we went out too much and had fun. <laughs> and the kids were everywhere and everybody just had the best time. You know how I hate it when summer's over. So yeah, <laughs> but yeah. it's okay. I mean, I love fall too. I just, I have to be like Carolina football games, pumpkin spice lattes, boots, like all the things I love about <laughs> fall. I just have to like, it's like a mantra, yeah. like yeah. It's okay. You're going to be fine. Sweaters. <laughs> and your team beat South Carolina. Right? I know. It was amazing. amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. awesome. And so that was really fun. So we were at this like kind of like band party. And of course, everyone was like in the bar watching the game the entire night. Or it'd be like, go dance and then run back and do the score. <laughs> run back and do the score. Anyway, it was really fun. Oh, yeah. It was exciting. Oh, that's awesome. How about you? Yeah, you you had a you had a better football weekend than my team did. We're not even going to talk about that. Mm -hmm. But um, we just, we who did they play? Who did subjects. Florida lose to? They, they played. They lost to Utah. It was oh yeah, wow. big upset. Yeah, good times. Yeah, yeah. And you had a much better weekend than that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, we we went down and visited my um <laughs> to to deal with the pain of the loss. Um, we the went trauma. down and had a the nice trauma. The, the 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 trauma. I'm still traumatized. Um, we had a uh, a really nice visit with my uh, with my in laws, my husband's parents. Um, uh, we went down there for dinner, and my brother in law and sister in law and niece were there too. So it was a nice little family gathering. Um, we also did the SeaWorld uh, Craft Beer Festival this weekend, which was really fun. And then when we came back on Monday afternoon, we kind of spontaneously went over to the Epcot Food and Wine Festival. And I remembered how nice it is to go to Disney World right as Labor Day has passed, because like for this month, um, the crowds are down and it's mm. just starting to get a little bit cooler. And it was just yeah. a very perfect Monday there after a very crowded sun summer. Mm, that's awesome. That's awesome. You're so lucky you can just pop over there. It's crazy. I mean, we just went for like two hours. Like, I, I mean, how, yeah, it is. It's really cool to be able to do that, right? We have to plan like, yeah. you know, for months and then have to yeah. get out. So yeah. we had a huge weekend, huge weekend. I know. So he my son, I know. So my son proposed to his girlfriend and she said yes. And she's amazing, and her name is. If she had said no, this would have been a bad. It would be a different kind of conversation. <laughs> I wouldn't have brought it up if she had said no. So <laughs> it was, and her family came down and surprised her. So she has three sisters and a set of twins, and they all came, and her mom and dad, and it was just a really fun weekend, which also happened to coincide with Pat's 60th birthday. So it was a lot of celebrating. Um, you know, 
there's we we all go through the bad stuff and the good stuff and sometimes the good stuff piles on and it was one of those weekends um and speaking of good stuff mary Kay, Mm -hmm. you have two weeks and six days and i need to know how you feel i um stressed (laughs) not about not about bright lights big christmas because um what will be will be with that. Just I'm trying to finish this book. I want it to be the best it can be. Yeah. And I'm on the home stretch. Um, but that's a lot. <laughs> yes. Well, this is when it all piles on at once, right? Yeah. Especially since the book is there's six months apart, six months apart. Yeah. September to Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I thought that was a good idea. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. it's gonna be fun. We it, have so much will, fun. It will. And, when, and yeah. once it's in your rear view, you, like you'll forget this feeling of pressure and it'll forget just the labor to have these books. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's eight it's so months. True. It's eight months. It's eight months. That's eight better. Eight eight. That's better. Well, yeah. it's like seven and a half, but I mean, that's, yep. that's tons of time. It's doable. It, you know what? Well, I, I told a friend today, these are all first world problems. That's yeah, right. that's true. Yep. It's a good well, problem. we are, we are here lifting you up. We're so excited. I know you we are. are here for you. And just remind everyone, we're all going to be in Maryland together. Yeah. Um, and what is the date? October 4th? 4th. Yes. It's all the information on your website. Yes. All the, all the tour stuff is on the website, all the links to buy tickets. Um, and I hope that everybody will come and join in the fun. We're all going to show up for everything. Wearing oh, Christmas trees on our heads. <laughs> yeah. Wait till you see the hats you're getting. I can't oh. wait. Yeah, you guys cannot yes, miss the hat. September 27th episode. No, there are props. props. We can't have a launch party without a prop. Nope. Right. Super excited. Love my t shirt. Okay, Got it in. <laughs> what a night. What an a really incredible night. So yeah. yeah. It we'll was see amazing. Yep. Bye everybody. Good night, Good night y'all. Thank you for tuning in. You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here.